Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It is episode 14 of Football and Random Things presented by Iowa Diamond. Jeff Woody is back from vacation. I don't know if you heard, but Jay and I did a two-hour podcast last week. I actually talked to Jay, and he said it was much more and less art. Yeah, we talked about a lot of football. Lots of football. Two hours worth of football. And Jay Jay can go on about it. Yeah, we probably could have done, I told him, I was like, we talked about half the things that I thought we could talk about today, and we still talked for two hours. He's very smart. He is very smart, and he likes to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, an attorney likes to talk? Well, that's fair. Weird. But it was just, it was funny because every time that we would get on a topic, he would bring something else up, like in the middle of a two-minute answer. So then I've got to sit there and think, you know. Remember, about that one thing remember the question, for the entire the question, rest of the, the question, remember yeah the question remember the question and yeah it's like what you'll do sometimes and then i'll think of a thing but then you'll go on like your diatribe won't end for like another two <laughs> minutes and then by that time like that one thing is <laughs> that is long gone. gone yeah yeah i i i do uh i i tend to talk a while and i'm much more art much less f- what are we even going to talk about today I don't know. We didn't. We didn't talk about bowl games. We didn't talk about bowl games. Uh, we didn't even talk about Drake. We didn't even talk about Drake. We, oh God. We only talked about that for like ten minutes last week because I didn't want to talk about it. I was just like, let's just forget that this happened. Just life burned the tape. Yeah. Got out mostly unscathed. Yeah. Mostly. Hopefully. For yeah. Yeah. All right. We're gonna get a quick message from Iowa Diamond, and then we will probably talk about something. When we come back on football and random things presented by Iowa Diamond. This is Iowa Diamond President Chuck Kuba. After 20 years of serving engagement and wedding couples, I can't help but reflect back on the thousands of wonderful folks we've helped and ask myself, how can we be so lucky? Is it our incredible ring selection or the quiet private atmosphere? Then came the epiphany. Out of all the people in the world, we make you feel like you are the most important people in the world. Because at that moment, to all of us at Iowa Diamond, you are. Visit us at iowadiamond.com or in person anytime. You'll see what I mean. Welcome back to football and random things. Where do you want to start? You want to talk about Iowa State and what Washington State? Wazoo? Washington State. Yeah, Washington State. There we go. Washington State. This has got to be... I love Matt Campbell, but he's he's pretty vanilla in interviews. Uh Mike Leach is not. Mike Leach is very much not. Like, this has to be the biggest dichotomy of... Uh, by the book, straight laced answers, and not even in a book answers between two coaches. Well, except for the book that he wrote. That's true. He did write a book. What is it? Something about the sword. Something about a sword. Yeah. But he's a I, he is a fun dude to listen to talk. Yeah. I loved his his diatribe on the playoffs. But, uh, he went right. Every, he went level by level, all the way through. High school even. Yeah. From, like even from, talking about high school. From high school to the NFL, level by level about the playoffs and how stupid it is that he thinks that there's four teams. Yeah. I do think that it's funny that Division One college football, not even Division One college football, FBS college football remains the only NCAA sanctioned sport that does not have a national champion crowned by the NCAA. The only one. And it's the one that makes all the money. And it's the one that makes all of the money. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's the only one that you will not see conclude with one team holding up a wooden trophy that says NCAA on it. Well, who is it? What's it sponsored by then? Or what's it? Uh, it's oh, what's it overseen by if it's not the NCAA? It's overseen by the college football playoff trust or whatever it is. Oh, Really? Is, and then it used to be the bull trust or like some the sort F- of bull alliance. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I didn't even know that. It is. Uh, that is what it is. It is not sanctioned by the NCAA. That's why you hear like the national championship trophy is called the Dr. Pepper national championship trophy or whatever oh, it is. Yeah. And then it used to be the Sears trophy and just the old crystal ball. And it's like, yeah, hmm. you're not going to win the NCAA championship. Who'd have thunk it? It's a fun fact that I didn't even know about. Yeah. But that's going to stay rattling up around in this brain for a while. Right. Exactly. Now you're going to be wondering, why is that the way that it is? 
Well, it's because money. Money. That's yeah. why money. Is the yeah, way that is. is the worst. But hey, we're all amateurs, so we don't need to open that can of worms. Jeff, how many times did you get out uh, from practice and you found a envelope with a hundred dollars in it? Very few times. Like zero. Like uh, somewhere between zero and zero. <laughs> yeah. They weren't paying you. No, they were not. They were not paying me. I paid my tuition, which I appreciate. I do. I do appreciate that. But they did not pay me directly. Yeah. I wonder how many times uh, Tua Tagovailoa has found a found some <laughs> some Benjamins in his hundred dollar handshake in his locker. Yeah. Um, this is a, this is a very dark path that we can go down, and I don't want to do that today. <laughs> I do not want to open that can of worms because we will not come out of that can of worms, and it's going to stay down there for a while. Um, so, what do you know about Washington State? I know that uh, Gardner Minshew is a very good quarterback. It's a neat mustache. He has a very yes glorious mustache i don't want to interview him because i know all i'll be able to think about is that mustache just stare down at his lip yeah i feel like it won't be the first time though well i think from a, a washington state perspective i don't know a ton about them i watched i think two or three games this year because they all start at 9 p.m yeah they are uh they're a mainstay on uh pac-12 after dark yep um which is fine if you live in washington it's a good time slot mm-hmm but not, not a whole lot to do in Pullman. Not a whole lot to do in Pullman. But um, I think from my understanding, it is the, one of the most Big 12-y teams that is in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. So as far as a matchup is concerned, it's about as good as it could have gotten for Iowa State. Excuse me, for Iowa State in the Alamo Bowl because you're drawing uh, Pac-12 number one. And that is it, that could have been Utah, which I think would have been a pretty bad matchup for Iowa State because they play punch you in the face football, mm-hmm. which as we've seen over the past, you know, X weeks has not been good for Iowa state for whatever reason. Right. The defense has stopped being as physically imposing as they were in the start of the season. So I think it's as, as good of a, it's as good of a matchup from a, a scheme standpoint for Iowa state as they could have gotten. Yeah. The only thing, the thing that's weird about Washington state compared to the other Big 12 teams that run that similar style is they don't have any, I mean, there's a lot less of the um, throw the ball down the field stuff. They do a lot of Gardner Minshew takes a snap and throws the ball as fast as he can. Mm-hmm. Like, Which is Mike Leach. Yeah. That, that's the offense that was pioneered by Mike Leach. It's the, it is the dink and dunk all the way down the field. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, can you pull up his statistics? I want to see. I want to see how many passing attempts he had, because that kind of put my glasses back on. Ugh, I can't see. Such a pain in the ass. I know. Uh, because the the way that Leach and so Leach is a very smart dude. So like as much as he seems to be um, just a, a goofy nut, he is actually a very smart person. Oh, he's a genius. And the way that he basically crafted that offense is. There is space and defenders or space and matchups in every defense that's out there. And if you spread them wide enough, those space, that space becomes bigger and the matchups become more one on one. And then you let the quarterback who is who also needs to be smart and quick with getting the ball out. You t- let him make the assessment of what the defense is doing, where the space is and what's your best matchup. All so right. then their their offense is mostly predicated on finding the best little niche that you can carve out four yards. Mm-hmm. All right. You want to know how many uh, yes. passing attempts Gardner Minshew has? Yes. 613. 613 over the course of 13 games. That is 47 a game. Well, they played 12 games because they didn't play in the Pac-12 championship game. Oh, right. So that's, oh, he's over 50. Yeah. So 50, 50 pass attempts a game. So that is the true... Mike Leach, Texas Tech style offense. I can tell you how many times they ran the ball total. Less than that. A lot less than that. Yeah. Uh, Their leader had 119 attempts. Next was 67. Minshew ran it 52 times himself. So they're in the 200 range. Yeah. about So it's about three to one pass to run. Correct. Yep. They average 52 pass attempts a game and they average 21 rushing attempts a game. So yeah, so about three to one. And uh, again, the, the way that they do that is they spread you out as far as they can spread you out. Find the matchup that 
allows them to get the easiest space that yeah. they can. And they're going to run a lot of simple little routes and just trust that the quarterback isn't going to make stupid decisions. Yeah. Which is kind of like the passing version of Kansas State. And it sounds weird to correlate Kansas State and Texas Tech, but an offense like this is not very capable of giant of very big plays. It's not a, a team like Oklahoma is obviously kind of the cornerstone example of offense in college football for five years now. Mm-hmm. And they're off the, the Oklahoma offense is based on being able to body blow you. And then eventually, once you're tired, then take shots over the over the top. This one doesn't do that. This offense isn't meant to do that. It's meant to be body blow, body blow, body blow all the way down the field until you get so pissed off that you miss a tackle and then they run. Mm-hmm. And that that's where their bigger plays are probably going to come from. It's probably less actual down the field passing attempts to actually produce successful big plays. Well, and that's why. I mean, 38.3 points per game is obviously good. Mm-hmm. But for someone that passes that much. For 60-some pass attempts. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. You would expect them to score more points than that, probably. Mm-hmm. But that's just that they're not trying to put up a bunch of points. And they play pretty good defense, too. Mm-hmm. So they, Tracy like, Clays is their defensive coordinator. Like I said, it's the, it is the, it's the passing version of Kansas State. Yeah. Where you, want, you, see a pa- you see a play, and a lot of times passing plays, you're disappointed. You know, it's set a, 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 a seven-yard pass play. You're like, oh, all right, I can deal with that. A three-yard pass play, you go, that was kind of stupid. Why do we even do that? Texas or uh, Texas Tech, uh, Washington State's cool with that. Yeah, is they see a three, four yard pass play. It's an out route that gets tackled immediately. It's third and seven now. Cool. They're second and seven now. Second and six. It's exactly what they're looking for because it's it's just the three yards in a cloud of dust, but that dust is farther away from where the ball is. Right. It's the like I said, it's a passing equivalent of Kansas State. It just gives them a better opportunity if you are in third and nine that they can get 9 to 12 to 15 yards. It's still within the, the capacity of having a good quarterback and receivers that can catch. Um, whereas Kansas State, a lot of times, you get them 3rd to 9, it has to take, you know, scrambling around, scrambling around, scrambling around, then busting a play, and then eventually getting it down the field. Right. It's not really ske- it's, it gets them off schedule. So it's, it's a very flexible offense that allows for a lot of down-and-distance situations. However, it's just like anybody who watched Army-Navy on Saturday, mm-hmm. when Army's offense was really good, you I mean, they're getting three yards, four yards on first down. They're getting three yards, four yards on second down. And then you've got third and two, you know. Mm-hmm. And But when Navy was playing really well, their defense was playing well, they're stacking them up on first down, and they're gaining zero yards or losing yards. And that's what, I mean, they lead the nation in fewest plays of, for negative yardage. And that's because when they get into those situations, the offense is basically... I mean, it, it can't be ran. You're talking about you, Washington State? No, I'm talking about Army. Army. I'm just saying, it's, yeah. I mean, it's that same. But Washington State, they, with the pass component, it's that the, is eliminated a, very, yeah. a little bit, you know? It's, but, but it's a similar idea. Yeah, it's a similar idea, but it's just like with those run teams, Kansas State, Army, that offense, when you run that way, it's like, okay, now we've got third and nine. What the hell are we going to do? Our quarterback has thrown 12 passes this season. It's you know? much, yeah, it's much more effective yeah. than that as far as being flexible in and out of down and distance right. situations. But how, however, and, and this is the other thing that, that um, Leach is, and I, I'm basing a lot of this, fully, full disclosure, like I said, I've watched on TV at 9.30 at night on a Saturday that I've probably fallen asleep at halftime. I've watched three or four of their games. So I, don't, I can't say this with 100% certainty, but basing the trajectory off of Leach and the guys that have been coordinating, that have coordinated for him, that are now coaches or played for him, that are now coaches across. The way that they they set their offense and protections is they're essentially trying to stymie the initial rush. Yeah. And if you can stymie the initial rush, you're good. You're golden. Because the ball's out. The ball's already. gone. Yeah. And you don't yeah. have to worry about sitting and contacting and playing there for a, playing back and pass protection um, for a, a five, seven step drop. You're just gonna someone rushes you right away, you stonewall them. So it's a really aggressive pass set. It's not a um, tackles are generally taught a couple different techniques. There's, uh, as far as pass protection is concerned, there is a quick game technique and there is a drop back technique. And a quick game technique is you're going to take one, maybe two kick steps, which is, you know, you back up. If you say you're the left tackle, your left foot goes back, your right foot catches up, your left foot goes back, your right foot catches up and you hunker down right there. And that's where you punch. You just get a little bit of depth, allow the, the, the defensive, the, the defender 
space to tell you what he's doing, but not enough space to actually create a move. So you can mm -hmm. figure out where he's going and then you punch right away. Whereas drop back steps, are you going to take two or, th or three or four kick steps? Yeah. And if that defensive end is rushing up the field, then you can invite him to run up the field farther or then you sit down and hunker down. So the kick steps and the kick slides, that is that that it's two different techniques. It's a timing thing that's different. And Washington State, generally speaking, is going to be very good, very good at short game kick steps. Their, their protection is going to be based off of um, how, can, how effectively can I stop your initial rush? And the, that initial rush is the one where, you know, you watch Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald, Khalil Mack, the guys that are as, as good as they are, the, the best pass rushers in the NFL, their initial rush works. It's the ones where you, they, the, defense or the defender takes three steps and, and the tackle has no chance. They take three steps and then all of a sudden they're like, shit, I'm on my heels. Yeah. The, where the guys that are, I, I don't mean this in a negative term because they're still playing the NFL, the guys that are in the, the, like a TJ Watt, like TJ Watt gets a lot of his sacks on a second rush where he makes a decent move and is good enough at getting to the, getting at first rush, but the, the offensive lineman can generally stop that first rush. But after that, then you have that, okay, I've been stopped. What's my next option? What's my, what's my follow-up move? And that's where guys like, like I said, TJ Watt is really good. So Washington State is, in, is kind of makes their living off of that first rush. It's that we're going, you're going to make your first move and we're going to stop that first move and then the ball's going to be gone so you don't even have a second move. And that's why Gardner Minshew's only been sacked 11 times. Right, on the entire season. And he's attempted almost 650 passes. Because they're, they're good at pass protecting. Like I said, they're very good at stopping that initial rush. He's also very good at getting the ball out. And so if, you're, if you at some point come to a standstill, ball's gone, there's no chance. You're never going to get to the quarterback. So he's not going to hold on to the ball long. So how do you stop this defense? Or how do you stop this offense then? Is you've got to know what the quarterback is thinking as a defensive player. So this comes in a lot of preparation because it's not a very complex route tree. It's not, I guess, a, a very complex offense. And this is why uh, the not inclined years, we were always really good against Texas Tech because when they were there, they ran a similar, it's a, it's a similar offense. It wasn't Leach. That it wasn't Leach when we were there, but it's a very similar style offense. And so Jake and AJ, it was Tuberville. I was say that was the Tuberville, was era, Tuberville right? Era. Yeah, yeah. But Jake and AJ knew ev knew where the ball was going, and so they could. It's sort of you know, sort of like dope, duping somebody into a passing lane in basketball, and then you come out with a fast break because you know where the the point guard wants to go. You go. They like to you know entry pass to this forward on the left block. They love to do that all the time. I know they love to do that all the time. I'm going to make it look like that's open. They lob that pass in there. You tip it out. There's a fast breaks gone. And so the way that a defensive team can do this is one, know where everything's going. Read the quarterback's mind is like I said, he's reading space and matchups. So if you look at space and matchups, where is, where is their thinking the best matchup is? They, they have their tight end on a safety. Okay. Mm -hmm. They like say theoretically, I don't know if that's the case. I'm like I said, I haven't paid attention to him enough. They say theoretically, they like that matchup. You know, they like that matchup. That means that you're thinking the quarterback is going to be looking in this direction on a second and seven. They like to go to this matchup. Okay. I'm going to not play. I'm not going to cut this off because I want them to do that. Then once they do that, then you capitalize on the mistake. And a guy like Willie Harvey is going to be really good at that because he's a very smart football player. Uh, got the, the freshman kids and the, the underclassmen, I think um, Marcel Spears should be pretty good in this role too. Um, but I think the middle linebackers, the, the puppies are going to have a lot of studying to do because it's really incumbent upon the, uh, upon those guys. Um, but stopping idea, best, best case. Number one is obviously you just have to play good coverage. Just mm, right. you're not going to yeah. stop them from completing passes. You have to play good coverage and tackle it when it's there. But the, the, in addition to that, in addition, to just base fundamentals is like I said, understanding what the quarterback wants and not immediately cutting off the thing that he wants. Because you want, again, I know that you know that I know that you know that you know that I know. Like that kind of thing. Where I know you like this tight end matchup. I'm going to let you think that I don't know that you like this matchup. And then undercut that. And then that puts you in, say you just bat it down. Or even just it's, it's a contested pass. Uh, or he ends up having to come off of it. And so his immediate read is 1,000, 1,002, throw it. Oh, shoot, not a good look. 1,003, 1,004, go to my second look. That's when you start getting in that 
first rush is done, but the second rush can actually come. So mm -hmm. you can make him uncomfortable. You can make him have to do something he doesn't, he's not preferable in doing, which he wants to stand there and throw. He doesn't want to run off a spot. He doesn't want to be Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't want to be Pat Mahomes. He wants to stand there and throw. And so make him get off a spot then. And that's where you can start getting, capitalizing on whatever mistakes may be created. Uh, the third thing then is in being successful with that, you get the chance to put him in long down and distance situations. If you get put him in long down and situations, he's been sacked 11 times this year. That's once a game, give or take. Make that more than one and make him feel that you are around him because this offense is predicated off of quarterback confidence and decision-making. Make them, make him have doubt in his mind that what he's seeing, like I said, a couple times you, you know, Willie Harvey undercuts a route, bats it down, or maybe gets an interception. Then what he's seeing, he has a question of, but also he's not comfortable in the pocket or he's not comfortable just catching and slinging and throwing. Yeah. And if you can make him uncomfortable because you put them in long down distance situations and you allowed, you know, Jaquan Bailey to, to make a pass rush move, or you've allowed Ray Lima to push a pocket right back up into his face, you've allowed those things to happen. Now you got a chance to make an uncomfortable quarterback make bad decisions. So it's a difficult offense to stop from a we're better athletes than you perspective because they're just operating that they're smarter than you. Yeah. That they know where their matchups are. And I'm, I, I've never been in a meeting room with an offense that's like this, but I bet it's a lot of money ball or I bet it's a lot of analytics of our, our receiver when we run this package is, a complete, is an effective play of 60-some percent. Okay, their defense, when, when an opposing team runs this package, this defender is at X percent. We like putting our X percent against their Y percent. Let's find ways to get that. Mm -hmm. that's, I'm, sure, I'm sure that that's how this offense is based. It's very analytical of where can we get the matchup and then how can we create space from that matchup. Well, and especially when you consider the fact that, that they're not out signing, you know, four and five star recruits. I mean, they're doing this with similar talent level, I would think, if you looked at the numbers to what Iowa State does, you know, what just as far as the recruiting goes. Uh, okay, so after all of that, you give Iowa State three weeks to prepare. You give Washington State three weeks to prepare. Who do you give the advantage to? I would think Iowa State, and to take my cardinal, cardinal color glasses off, I would think Iowa State because the tendency of a quarterback is likely not going to change from 12 games to game 13. Yeah, especially someone that's a fifth-year senior like right. Minshew is. You're, he's not going to reinvent what he likes to do. Yeah. So you're going to have a good idea, and you're just going to have to do reverse – you're going to have to reverse analytic this thing of, okay, if they're looking at percentages or if they're looking at they like to run this and throw to this out of this, then we need to be prepared for this and this and this, which gives the, the defensive guys – uh, a better chance to also catch on to that. So the coach doesn't just know what's going on. The players also know what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think that it's good. It, it's good for Iowa state in, in, well, Washington state, the advantage that Washington state would ha then have is that they can take a very deep dive into what they want to statistically know and find the weakness yeah. Of that team. And, you know, is it is it just one guy? Is it one scheme? Is it one look that they don't defend well? Is, you know, maybe when there's when receivers are two by two, they Iowa State defends it really well. And when it's a tight end on one side and three receivers in the other, they defend it really well. But then you put a, a receiver on that one side and then put the tight end in the trip side, then maybe they don't defend that really well. And it allows them to spread out and really look in depth at what matchups they can get to better, um, to better attack what Iowa State's doing. And it doesn't, and they can do that without having, this is what we do because they can just look at Iowa State and go, all right, over the course of their 12 games, they did this. Okay. Let's, let's write something up that they, that we can do that we can expose that weakness. So there's, there's an advantage to both sides, but I would think, um, like I said, I would think that Iowa State has a slightly better advantage because the quarterback is the focal point of this entire offense. There isn't one, there isn't, this is an offense that is so centered around one person's success that it's not, uh, it's not really, I don't think there's another offense that has that. Mm -hmm. Like Oklahoma, you know, it's Kyler Murray. They, want, they have two quarterbacks that won Heisman back to back, 
that offense is a successful, but it's not specifically just because of the quarterback. It's because they can put their guys, this tight end in a position to catch a pass from somebody yeah. that makes it okay. And so long as they can read a couple things and they're going to be good where this one is, the quarterback has to analyze and deduce the entire defense and then make a snap accurate throw off of that deduction 50 times in a game. So this, uh, like I said, I, I would think Iowa State, to answer the question, I think Iowa State has a slight advantage, but Washington State has the capacity to find good matchups for them over the course of these three weeks or whatever time it's taken to develop their game plan. You want to hear a crazy stat? Sure. All right, so Washington State won nine games last year. They went nine and four. Luke Falk was their starting quarterback. Luke Falk finished his career number one all-time in pass completions, pass attempts, pass completion percentage, passing yards, and passing touchdowns in the history of the Pac-12. They brought in a new quarterback and got better. Yeah. That, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's- that just goes to show how, I mean, Minshew is, I think, probably more purely talented than what Luke Falk was, but just like how, yeah, it's just the the mental side of all, everything and just having that quarterback and having a guy who's got elite talent like what Minshew kind of does that can take you to a whole other level. Well, that's why Case Keenum was so good. Yeah. I mean, that was a different offense. That was Art Bryles Houston offense, but it's still a guy that's not supremely talented. I mean, Case Keenum's a good quarterback. Obviously played in the NFL for, he's played in the NFL for now, what, eight years, but he's, he's good because he's smart. Mm -hmm. And that's where Washington state's quarterbacks and Washington state's offense exists because their coach is smarter than you or their coach is smarter than yours and their quarterback is smarter than you. So you have to understand, like I said, you got to try and read their mind a little bit. Yeah. Where does he like to go? Then let him think that he likes to do that. Yeah. Um, and then I think the position group that's most, that it's most incumbent upon to be successful in order to stop this offense is the linebackers. Because if you look at every sharp drop or every, not every sharp drop, every quick play, where is that going to come from? It's not usually, and I would, again, I don't know what the analytics are. I haven't seen full pages, but I'm going to guess very rarely are they far field throws. He's not going to be throwing from one hash all the way to the other side, the other, the other sideline. They're going to be quick, accurate passes that are somewhere between like a, you know, a visual range of the quarterback where he doesn't have to turn his head to see it. You know what I mean? Where like if you put your hands out to the side, it's like 15 degrees in front of yeah. 180. It's going to be within that field. So he's not going to have to turn a lot. And who is responsible for covering that space? Linebackers primarily. Yeah. Linebackers, nickelbacks, safeties that kind of pop up in there. But linebackers are going to be what will come underneath this throw, underneath these throws. So I think that is what is most in that position group and understanding, like I said, understanding the game plan very thoroughly of where are his tendencies? What does he like? What does he not like? What does he want to do? And what can you make him think he wants to do? If the linebackers can understand that, Iowa State has a, a pretty good chance to be successful. But if the linebackers get picked apart, then that will be a very long game. I, I, I think, um, like I said, I think Willie Harvey is going to have a very good game because he's a very smart football player. I think uh, Marcel Spears has a chance to be a, to have a pretty good game himself because he's generally better in coverage than he is in the box. Mm-hmm. The position that I wonder about is that Mike linebacker position, which has primarily been Mike Rose and Orion Vance. I don't know if those guys are really good at understanding the other quarterback because I think both of those guys like to have their nose up in the box, uh, not necessarily back in quick game pass coverage. Yeah. All right. So just let's just talk about the process of going to a bowl game for a little bit. I mean, I don't know how how well people understand that i'm sure we talked about it last year but it's just well not even okay leading up to it so right now i mean i don't know how much they're practicing with finals week and stuff like that finals week is probably light when do when when do guys start even looking at washington state are they doing it right right now right away okay and I, i this i think this staff has done a really good job of getting guys to understand what film study actually is you know, we had we had guys that would do it, but it wasn't I, I think it probably wasn't as culturally out there as it is culturally now where this I bet every guy is in there. or Ninety nine percent of guys are in there. We had maybe 70 percent of guys that are in there. But anyway, right away, as soon as you know, it's Washington State. And I don't even think that was a thing that like that Campbell said, hey, get in here and watch Washington State. It was guys that I wanted to know personally, what am I playing when we would get our bowl announcement? 
And so I would always try and watch it right away, whether it's on my phone, in my room, or whether it's uh, like going into the facility and actually watching it there, but they're going to watch it right away. They're going to get to know the other side of the ball because you've got three weeks, four weeks before yeah. you even consider actually playing. So you can know thy enemy very well and you can know what he likes, what his tips are, what, you know, what's he good at, what's he not good at, and what should I be expecting when I see that? So I would always watch the linebackers and, the, and uh, I, I would most of the time just watch run box footage for me because I wasn't that involved in the past game. And if I was, it was blocking. So I was just going to watch the front seven for the, mo for the most part. Um, and I would always watch the linebackers and what they moved like, where if I was going to get a ball or if I was going to get a carry and I knew that they liked to cut back door, I would generally speaking probably keep my eyes more front side. Or if I knew that there are guys that just run super fast to the front side of the play, then I would know that I could cut it back. I, I, I could keep that in my mind to know that that was a thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I bet immediately on Sunday night, when they, after they got that announcement that they're playing Washington State, I bet they were already watching film. And so what happens, I don't know exactly what, what the, the process is, but I would assume the, the next week, because that was dead week, right? Dead week, then this is finals. Yeah, this is finals right so now. So dead week was last week. I bet they practiced a couple times, but they weren't uh, really, they might've been a couple full padded practices, but they were probably not grinder, grinder practices. It was kind of the let's get our legs underneath us yeah. practices. Well, I know too, last year, especially, I mean, Joel and Alan and David and like all those guys, they were not practicing at the beginning of bowl yeah. prep. I mean, there was a lot. I mean, any, they might have been going through some different drills and stuff like that. They probably that. went through individual, but they yeah. didn't do any type of anything together. But yeah, everything else was the young guys. And it's yeah. like this was the opportunity for the young guys to just get in I was and just gonna, work yeah, out. I was gonna yeah. I was gonna just get to that. So it probably wasn't that physical of a practice. It was the let's get our legs underneath us caveat where you're gonna have however many practices you're allowed, whether it's 10, 15, 8, well, I don't know what the number is. You're going to use every single one of them for your young guys to almost scrimmage each other, scrimmage each other every time that you possibly can. The guys that aren't going to play, that mm -hmm. they've already, you know, they're going to redshirt, or you know that they're a backup's backup, but they're a sophomore. You know that those guys don't have a lot of live experience. Let's get your asses in here and see what you can do. This yeah. is your time because when we were, you know, when we were playing, you get guys like Alexander Robinson. I think Alexander Robinson a grand total of like thirty snaps in a scrimmage or even thud situation in the entire bowl prep period in 2009, 2011. He wasn't there in 2009. And so like grand total of like 30 in that year because he, we know what he's going to do. Just don't hurt him in practice. That, that really get your body healthy. We know what you're going to do. You, we know that you're successful. You know the game plan. So long as you can see what we're trying to do, you're good. And that's, I bet, the guys, anybody that even has a slight nick to the ankle, knee, shoulder, back, something. Anything that has anyone that has a slight nick or a guy that they feel that is too valuable to risk. Yeah. Like, like a Brian Peavy. Brian Peavy has been playing in pain for a while, uh, but so he's probably not playing much. So I guess it's not the best example, but uh, maybe a guy like Ray Lima or a guy like Ray, you just got to know, like from a, from, from Ray's perspective, he's not, he didn't get damaged during the season. He just a season's worth of wear and tear. But he just has to know what the game plan is and st stand there during practice to see from behind what the what we're trying to get you to do. Right. And then once you get that, you don't need to practice. But you're still going to take every possible minute, which is where I think I've said I've told the story multiple times before. The, the, the time that I actually got my look with the ones was because A-Rob didn't take any snaps during bull prep. And then somebody else got hurt, like even you know, a little minor, like twisted an ankle. And then I got to run with the twos and I did well against the twos. And then I got to run against the ones. Now, granted, it's ones asterisk because like Jesse wasn't playing or Jesse Smith wasn't playing, uh, you know, guys like that. They weren't in because they were out, you know, protecting them, too. But you get to run with against the ones, which puts you in a fair playing field to actually get good snaps. Right. So this is a, a like I said, week week one at, or during dead week at maybe two or three practices. I don't know what the exact number is, but it's going to be light for the guys that have played and very, very, very heavy for the guys that haven't. And that was the, that was super fun. I always love that. Like I said, it's, I actually got to play, I got to roll with the ones. So how much would a guy like Brock Purdy practice? I would assume more than a guy like Hakeem Butler, but, and especially because he's a quarterback, um, he's going to throw in, in any scrimmage or thud situation. He doesn't get touched anyway. Yeah. He doesn't, he's got, I don't know what color they use, black, green, whatever. Black, yeah. So they, 
that jersey indicates that you don't even sort of contact this guy. He doesn't get touched. Don't touch him. If you touch him too hard, you get yelled at. Mm -hmm. So uh, he's probably going to be playing more because they're they're installing a new game plan for you. How hard is that? Okay, this is, I mean, obviously you did not play quarterback. How hard is it for a quarterback to do that to where he doesn't get hit for all this time and then the game comes and you get hit that first time and it's like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. This is what it feels like to get hit. This is uncomfortable. Or think about a guy like Brock Purdy where he's a true freshman, has really never been hit in the entire time that he's been in college and then he gets put in a game and he gets hit for the first time, and it's like, oh, so that's how it that, that's how that's how it feels. Ah, that was that's uh, harder than I thought. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I can't answer that. I was always I played running back, yeah, and well, fullback. I didn't know if you had teams. any perspective on that, like just how jarring that would be, where you're like, you don't know really what it's like to get hit <laughs> until all of a sudden you're in the middle of a game and you get hit, and it's like, oh crap. That didn't feel very good. I don't know. I don't, man, I might have told this story before. My first getting hit story in college. I don't know if I said this one or not. Uh, Probably I've have. never gotten it. Probably I've never have, heard but it, but whatever. So I got invited to camp. Just that this is a complete tangent. It's kind of, kind of art. Um, but my, I got invited to camp, but I was a walk on. I was a preferred walk on. So I got to make the 105, um, but obviously was paying to be there, which is ridiculous when you think about how horrible camp is that you're getting, you're paying to go through this crap. Uh, anyway, so I, uh, I got to go to, um, I got to go to camp and when we got padded up, we got to do, or got to, we had to do a drill that we affectionately named the hamburger drill. And what that was is that there was a, a equipment manager that pretended to be the quarterback and you'd stand next to him like you're in the shotgun and a linebacker stood where he was going to stand, which if you do the math, it's give or take 10 yards apart. Mm -hmm. He had to, he got to do whatever he wanted to try and get to that. Imagine uh, that equipment guy acting as a quarterback. Now this is not a realistic explanation of how football works because there's no lineman around. I was going to say, is there a lineman? There's no lineman anywhere. Okay. So they have unlimited space that they can do this from. Second rule, we can't cut. So that's the reason why you cut block is if a guy is running full speed, he's a 235 pound linebacker and his shoulder is down. That's yeah, more or less like getting hit by like a dirt bike. Yeah. And the only way you can stop that is if their momentum's forward and you hit him in the knees, they do a front flip. And that's not fun, nor comfortable, nor effective. And so if a guy is a big bull rusher, like Jeremiah George always was, he ended up by the time he was senior being really good playing with his hands, but he was a big bull rush guy. Like he would never work a move. He would just run as hard as he can and hit you because he's stronger than you. And so we couldn't cut block them. There's also no linemen. So there's an unlimited amount of space and the knowledge that we can't stop them from running as fast as they want. And so we would just stand in front of there and hope to punch them and stop. Yeah. Great. Sometimes it worked. I got to the point where I was pretty good at it by the time I was a senior, but I had never blocked before. I was a high school running back in an I formation. I got the ball 35 times a game in high school. We threw it like 10 times a game. I don't know how to block. So we're doing this drill. I can't slow them down. I don't know how to block. And I go stand, you know, I take my two, three steps forward and I get down in what I think is a decent blocking stance. And Fred Guerin is a linebacker. Fred Guerin, I believe, was at the time 225, 230 pounds. He's a fifth-year senior. Uh, I don't know if he was. I think he was all-conference. And he lifted me off the ground and threw me backwards, and I landed square on my back. That was that I, I got up to Coach Pope laughing at me, <laughs> saying, son, you got to get your pads down. Like, oh, thanks. Really providing good coaching advice. And it was, it was just sheer embarrassment. So that was my first real What's content. the point of this? What's the point of this? Yeah. You have to be able to punch to stop somebody. Okay. That's kind of the point, I guess. <laughs> that's the point of that drill. Linebackers have to work pass moves at some point, but it never turned out that way. Well, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, it, if they are just running straight at you from 10 yards away, basically, mm -hmm. like all you have is to take you just take your couple steps forward or whatever that it seems pointless. It's just like, okay, you're just going to get basically step out there and, and get hit as hard as, as hard as that linebacker wants to hit you. It was, 
it had its purpose. And by, by the time we got like a year or two into being there, we really didn't do it that much anymore because, and then in, in an equal sense, there was another, another drill that was, so that pass protection drill, we call that pods where like you get with a, you know, offense goes, the, offense mm-hmm. goes to defense somewhere. So we go to the pod section. So the pod section, that is a distinct advantage for the linebackers. We had another drill that was a distinct advantage for us. It was just a one-on-one pass route drill. And you come out of the backfield and the quarter, you tell the quarterback or the quarterback tells you, and this you get, you know, a, a scout team quarterback. Um, Ryan Gent was the guy that would always come down and do it with us. And you get scout team quarterback and you just tell him what route you're going to run and you go run that route. There's nothing else on the field. There's no lineman you have to avoid coming out of the backfield. There's no pass rush. There's no time that you actually have to abide by. So if you're running for like four seconds and make a good move and then like make another good move off of that good move, (laughs) you're never going to get the ball in that situation ever. No quarterback is ever going to come back to an effectively run route in four seconds. The ball that you're going to get is an immediate blitz. You're a hot route. That's a reception or scramble drill. You have now made yourself available and the quarterback has busted the pocket and you actually get it. But there's nothing on the field so we could run whatever the hell we wanted. Uh, that was that was our distinct advantage. And then there was it got to the point where they figured out how to how to stop that was they, they try and contact you at the line of scrimmage. And our adjustment to that was run a go route, which we ran like six times in five years ever. And it was just run by them and they go to contact you. You make one move and avoid them. They fully lunge behind you. And it's like a wide ass open touchdown. Uh, there's so many stupid drills like that. But hey. Got to look good against for, for the coaches making a linebacker look dumb. I was going to say this, like these drills, it's like, I mean, I get that there's a point to them, but at the same time, they feel so unrealistic to what actually <laughs> happens while you play football that you kind of just, I'd be out there and I'd be like, this is like the equivalent of one-on-one, like in basketball, you <laughs> no. know, yeah. if it's- we, if we went to practice and it's like, okay, we've got our, our big guys versus the point guards today in one-on-one. And this is what we're going to do to prepare you guys for the game. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. All right. Well, you want to talk about some national college football stuff when sure. we come back? Sure. We will do that. You're listening to Football and Random Things presented by Iowa Diamond on the Cycle Fanatic Podcast Network. Hey, guys. It's Williams here. On the podcast, on our radio shows, we talk a lot about point spreads, you know, all that stuff. To be honest, I'm not a big better, but I'm really just fascinated by that industry. And I want to recommend a service to you guys today if you're interested in that sort of thing. MyBookie.ag is the website. If you join right now, and if you give them our promo code, they will match your deposit dollar for dollar. This is a really good deal. Our promo code is 2427. Again, that promo code is 2427. They have live in-game, live betting. They're in the business for you fantasy guys out there. You can bet over-under on fantasy points for players. There's all sorts of really cool things. MyBookie.ag. Again, that promo code is 2427. You play, you win, you get paid. MyBookie.ag. Hello, Fanatics. This is Chris Williams. There are few financial commitments you will make in your life that are more important than where to get your mortgage from. That's why I want to tell you about my friend Jason Larson at Gershman Mortgage in Ankeny. Here's a real review from a client on Facebook. Jason was amazing to work with. He kept in contact with us where we were at throughout the whole process. When we went to sign, he had coffee and donuts for us that morning. He was super kind and helpful, and we said we would refer him to anyone looking to buy a home. Now, that's just one review. Jason Larson, Gershman Mortgage in Ankeny is an equal housing lender. Their NMLS number is 138063. Give them a call at 515-554-6177. Please tell him that Chris Williams and Cyclone Fanatics sent you. Hey, guys, it's Chris Williams. We're in the heart of football season now, and I got to tell you, I feel a lot better than I did a year ago, and I owe a lot of that to Dr. Kruger at the Ames Eye Clinic. Also, uh, their Des Moines location is, they're called Des Moines Eye Care in Des Moines. Same guys really great eye doctors. I never thought that I had eye problems. I don't really have problems seeing or anything like that, but I was suffering from chronic headaches. I mean, it was nonstop. I always had a headache. And I think a lot of it was because I stared at a screen all day. Dr. Kruger took a look at my eyes, took him about a half hour, 
and he knew exactly what was wrong. Prescribed me some glasses that now I use while I'm on my computer, while I'm working for you guys at Cyclone Fanatic all day. And man, has it made a difference. I'm even sleeping better. I challenge you, if you have a problem like this, any sort of eye problem, to contact our friends at Des Moines Eye Care and the Ames Eye Clinic. You can check out DesMoinesEyeCare.com or AmesEyeClinic.com. I would encourage you to do this and tell them that we sent you. Tell them thank you for supporting what we're doing here at Cyclone Fanatic. Welcome back to Football and Random Things. All right, start with the Heisman. Saturday night, Kyler Murray. Billy Sims. You mentioned it before. Billy Boomer! Boomer! Settle down, buddy. (laughs) Settle down. Good job, Coach Lincoln! All right. Were you surprised to see Kyler? I think that everybody, by the time the ceremony actually happened, was pretty confident that it was going to be him. Well, but. the 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 thing is, he didn't win. Was it the Walter Camp National Player of the Year? Is that what it was? The, the that, that is one. I don't know. If I he think won there was or not, there but. was, but the past six Heisman Trophy winners had won that award, and Tua had actually won whatever the National Player of the Year was, not the Heisman. And so that actually made me give a, get a little bit of a pause, like. Mm, mm. Maybe Tua actually is going to come away with it. But after watching the Georgia game and watching Kyler against Texas, that was that the Heisman moment thing happened for Murray. It wasn't just one play, but it was in the biggest situation, he still played great. And Tua in the biggest situation played like garbage. Well, and the thing I think hurt Tua as well, and this is... Is that his backup came in and did better? I was just going to say this, and this comes down to the what is the Heisman question, which is a whole other can of worms to open. But when he's been so good, he's been propped up all year long. Oh my God, Alabama finally has a quarterback. And it's like this made into this huge thing that he has like changed this offense. And then like you said, Jalen Hurts comes in and basically does the same thing that Tua had been doing the entire year. That's when I look at it and I'm like, Maybe Tua doesn't make that big of a difference because, newsflash, Alabama has lots of guys who are really good at football, and you don't have to be that great right. to, to make it look like you're really good because there's lots of other really good guys that are around you. Yeah. And if you can just get the ball to those guys, you're going to look pretty good. And that, to me, was like where it, it, you kind of sit back and you're like, okay, Maybe he's not the Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah. But with Kyler, I mean, you could have the same conversation and say the same thing about him. Baker wins the Heisman last year, puts up stupid numbers. Kyler comes in this next year, puts up stupid numbers too, throwing to basically the same people. And you're like, okay, so then how can we say that Kyler Murray should win the Heisman then too? I think Kyler Murray did more uh, for himself to be an addition to the offense yeah. than Tua did as him as himself being addition to the offense. Everybody got real worked up about the thing in the national championship game. And I think that that's where it comes from as much as anything. It's like that one game where when he came in the game, everything flipped so drastically that then it was like, oh my God, he changed the entire team. And then he did well. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I honestly think he's a very good quarterback. Oh yeah. He's a very good player. I'm not trying to say that. And it's, but it's just like you Alabama probably would have been doing this to everybody anyway. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget the fact that Jalen Hurts lost two games in his entire college career as a starter. One of them was the national championship game. And then what was the other one? It was a Iron Bowl. Yeah, they lost the Iron Bowl. And it's like, and that's when, so when he got replaced, he's coming off the worst performance of his career in the Iron Bowl. There's probably a little unrest at -hmm. that point, knowing what that Tua is behind him. And everybody thought the Tua was awesome, you know? And it's like, you at that point, he comes out, Tua comes in, does awesome. Everybody's kind of like, yeah, screw Jalen Hurts. Like, this Tua kid's crazy. And he's, he's really good. We got to roll with him. And then it, it's just, just like you know, a way overreaction yeah. to what would have probably happened regardless of who the starting quarterback was for Alabama this year. And I didn't, I didn't pay enough attention to Dwayne Haskins to get a good feel on if he was just, again, kind of the same thing of like Ohio State's quarterback. Ohio State's quarterback's done pretty well for himself for like 10 years now. Mm -hmm. So I I didn't get a good feel. But I I really thought that it's just one of those things where you know, you know, when you hear a song for the first time, I'm big like just listening to a bunch of different types of music and, you know, little artists, big artists, whatever. And you hear a song and you're like, that song is going to be huge. And I don't know why. I just know that it's going to be huge. 
and then it is. You, I feel like the Heisman is the same thing. And people you know, call it the it factor or whatever, but you can see that there's a discernible difference between the value they provide to their team and another player's value to their team. And that's why I thought when Christian McCaffrey didn't win it, I thought that was the biggest robbery of, I guess, who, uh, it what was, year was that? Derrick Henry, wasn't it? Had to have been. Yeah. I think it was Derrick Henry that won it. And I thought that was the biggest robbery because Derrick Henry was a good player, but he didn't add that much value to his team. It's the same thing. It's the same conversation. Yeah. Where Alabama's always going to be good. Alabama's Chris, running back's always going to be good. And Christian McCaffrey was Stanford. Yeah. And the only reason they were as good as they were was because he was as good as he was. And that was, I thought, the biggest, I thought that was the biggest robbery of somebody winning and somebody not winning was that. That has to be what year it was. Because then the other one was Lamar. He was a finalist when Lamar Jackson won too, right? McCaffrey? Yeah. Was he? Was it? I don't remember. But Lamar's the same thing. Where, I mean, he was, he was that team. Yeah. You know? And then you take him off that team and look what happened. Two years later, Bobby Petrino gets fired. Yeah, that, he's And that, that team is, is horrible. Yeah, he's that good. Uh, yeah. He was just stupid. And like, stupid, to, stupid good. That, to me, is the Heisman. Yeah. And so, I... uh that and when you watch Kyler Murray, you get that feel where you're like, "Good Lord, yeah, what do you do to this guy?" And you just know that you know that that he's in, he's standing, and looking like he's gonna pass, and then you you go, "He's good," and turn back, and he's 14 yards down the field running. You're like, "Where the hell did he just go? Right, How right. did that happen?" That was just to me. It was just the thing that it, if he didn't win, it would have been because of the you know the the Derrick Henry factor of he's not, he's the best player on the best team. Well, and that's why I think about, you know, when you think about past Heisman winners, obviously there's been a lot of years where they got it right. But the, the ones where they, I think that when you look back at it, it's like, okay, we probably didn't get that one right. You, I mean, you think about Reggie Bush and Vince Young, where if you take Vince Young off that Texas team, do they win the national championship? No. Probably not. You right. take Reggie Bush off USC, or are they still probably playing for the national championship? Probably. Like Lindell White's pretty good. Lindell White was pretty good. Matt Leiner had won the Heisman literally the year before. Pretty good mm -hmm. player. That to me is where it's just like, and that's where the conversation is. Is it the most outstanding player in the college football, or is it the most valuable player in college football? You know, is do you, if you take this guy off of his team, are they still as good as they would have been? who is most drastic in that situation. And I, I think Kyler, of those three guys, Kyler is probably the one where it would have been most drastic if you take that guy off his team. They're not as good as what they are. Yeah. And that, I don't know, that, and, and I don't know if that very, if the, if the Heisman's clearly defined as to what they really want. Like, it's it's to, supposed to be the most outstanding player in college football, and that, which is what does that mean? And that's, and yeah, and the most outstanding player because you don't want to fault a guy like Derrick Henry. I mean, I'm not saying Derrick Henry's not a very good player. I think he's a very good player, but I think, like I said, in that year, I thought Christian McCaffrey made the most difference, and I thought he was a just a better football player. Yeah, but again, well, and that's you also probably why he's been I mean, he's been very successful as a professional, right? And I think the I, th I think the the thing with that I that you you have to also kind of concern yourself with is like you can't also punish a guy for being on a really freaking good team. Yeah. Like if you're the best player in the country, like if you're the best player in the country, like at the time, um, trying to think of a guy that got shafted by, not, I forgot, I forgot Reggie Bush didn't win the Heisman. So I shouldn't have even said that. Wink. Redacted. Redacted won the Heisman in 2005. No one won the Heisman in 2005. Um, guy like uh, Deshaun Watson, mm -hmm. like Deshaun Watson was probably the best player on Best player in the country. I would think he was the best player in the country. Who won the Who won it that year? Wouldn't that have been Derrick Henry too? That would have been the same year. Or wait, that might have been the Lamar year. That was the Lamar year. Yeah, yeah, because it was just the two of them. Right. And so Deshaun Watson might have been the best player, but he also was on the best team. And then you look at Lamar Jackson, who was clearly, I mean, no question. One of the best players in the in the the world at you know best players in the nation in college football. He carried them to like a top ten ranking, and was I mean it literally it was, was him. it was just him. Yeah, but then like you look at this, you know, is Deshaun Watson was probably a better player. I mean, again, it's hard to tell, but yeah. because it's it's a lot of times apples to oranges. But you can't also it, you can't also fault the guy for just being on a really good team. So the Tua thing. 
I I don't I have I don't get that the the he provides a discernible difference to this team. He's just on a really good team. Where a guy like even a guy like Marcus Mariota when he won, Marcus Mariota's Oregon team was really freaking good. But he also made a difference to make that really freaking good team even better. Mm-hmm. That was the where that's kind of the thing that you look to me that it was different. Well, and that's why I mean, the one that always comes to me, and this is because I, at the time I was closest to it, is the 2009 one. The and Sue? Yeah, where it was Mark Ingram and then Toby Gerhardt and then Sue. I mean, Sue might have even actually finished fifth. I mean, Colt McCoy, like he was up in there. It was that whole group of guys. Mm-hmm. But it was like the, you take all of them, Mark Ingram, he played at Alabama. Like that Alabama team was probably, they won the national championship. They were good. Mm-hmm. They were going to be good anyway, you know. Uh, that Texas team, Colt McCoy was a good quarterback. But their defense allowed like less than 10 points per game, literally like less than 10 points per game. Mm-hmm. Nebraska had a bunch of dudes on that defense that played in the NFL. But if you take Sue off of that team, they're probably just another pretty good defense. Well, you- and that was legitimately a defense that took the team who finished second in the, nation- in the country to the wire like when at the end of the season and he put up stats similar to defense, whole defensive lines that were playing for the national championship. They also lost to Iowa State. They did, but so they also only scored seven points and held Iowa State to nine. They also lost to Iowa State. Just that same team, that defense, they gave up less than ten points per game. Um, yeah, and it's that again. You it, so the most outstanding player. No lineman's ever going to win it. No, no tight ends ever going to win it. It's quarterbacks, running backs. At this point, can a receiver even win? Maybe. If a guy they have is, to do more than just catch passes. Right. I if think. a guy is so clear, if a guy catches like has you know twenty one hundred receiving yards and like twenty four touchdowns or something like that, at that point you got to consider the fact that yeah, he's probably he's earned his way. At this point, it might as well just be a quarterback award, dude. To be completely honest, like what it okay? Derrick Henry won in two thousand fifteen. I don't know what like seven of the last nine winners or something like yeah, that is, been, is quarterbacks. I think it's been Ingram and Henry and Henry are the only ones that haven't because been said I thought McCaffrey should have won it, but also running back. Yeah. I mean, you look at the guy, the voting from this year, top three, the finalists are all quarterbacks. Fourth place, Will Greer quarterback, fifth place, Gardner Minshew quarterback, sixth place, McKenzie Milton quarterback. I don't know who finished seventh and eighth. It's completely irrelevant. I think the top running back finished in 10th. It was uh, Etienne. Okay, yeah. So he was seventh. Seventh. Yeah. Yeah. And then Daryl Henderson was the nation's leading rusher at Memphis, and he finished 10th. And it's like, like, what's a running back got to do besides play for Alabama? Play for Alabama. To win the Heisman. Yeah, if Christian McCaffrey can't win it, doing what he did. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. It's a quarterback or Alabama's running back. It's basically it. Or, well, even Leonard Fournette didn't. No. Get it. I don't think he was even a finalist, if I remember remember correctly nope that dude was literally having people flip over his back trying to not tackle him yeah yeah oh god just get out of the way right that guy was crazy still is oh he yeah yeah he if he just imagine if he would have played in an offense that was not created by les miles kansas coach les miles yeah head coach at the university of kansas puka got in trouble you see that jackass yeah we had the same conversation and I want to qualify this statement by saying it is there. I'm not, I'm not going to say never because like life can throw you a bunch of different curveballs. If uh, say, you know, a girlfriend of yours has your child at gunpoint, it's okay to hit that woman. Outside of like super extreme situations, there is no reason to ever hit a woman ever. But let's take this one step farther. At 18 year old or 18 years old in your life, what is so important that you are going to hit somebody for it, let alone hitting a woman? What in the hell is that important? Again, it's a level of stupid that is not approachable by any person. Then you go a level beyond that level of stupid by not just hitting a person, you're hitting a woman. And then another level of stupid beyond that is that the, the guaranteed the thing that it was for had to be completely insignificant. Mm-hmm. Stupid. Yeah. Stupid. Do you, based on the current state of society, this is my stance. And the fact that Les Miles, having been the coach at Kansas for two weeks at this point, 
I'm going to guess that Puka Williams will never play a down of football again for Kansas. That is my guess. Probably not. Just because as a coach, as a new coach, you got to set the bar. You, you got to set the bar. Yeah. And it does matter if it's the best player or not. If you're stupid enough to get yourself put into that situation to begin with, it, you got to look at that and be like, man, can't, can't do it. The only other, like the only other applicable punishment would be like what they did with Joe Mixon, which was you're out the entire year and you can't even practice with the team. Go. If you want to transfer, fine. But if you don't, you're not allowed to even be a part of this team for an entire year. Mm -hmm. That'd be, I, I think, uh, an equal, and it's going to burn a year of your, burn a year of your eligibility. Yeah. That, I think that would be an okay punishment. Um, it depends on the circumstances right. of the situation, I would say. Uh, it's like the cream hunt thing. Obviously, this has been hot in the conversations down in the Kansas City area, but uh, it's the same deal where with, with cream hunt, if you're even as good as that guy is and as good as his rookie season was, for him to have put himself into three different situations of similar circumstance, you just got to sit and wonder a little bit like, okay, man, why are you doing so many stupid things? It's hanging out with Tyreek Hill too much. Yeah. The one thing I'll give Tyreek Hill is that Tyreek Hill's situation was tried in a court of law and he had admitted guilt and stood for that punishment. Whereas Kareem Hunt lied to the team after never even having... It haven't gone to court. Yeah. I, I just think that... Mixon did the same thing. I mean, he, I think he was found guilty, and he st stood for what he had to do in the court of law, and you know what? Like, hey, okay, if you'll admit it, you'll say, I'm going to change, and it doesn't happen again, that's one thing. Yeah. But when you... Yeah, when you're a repeat offender. Repeat offender, and you're still not getting in trouble, and it's like, after the first one, it's like, man, I probably got lucky here. I shouldn't do this to myself again. Then to do it again or be in that situation again. And then when the team asks you about it, basically the team knew what had happened. Mm -hmm. And you say, no, that's not what happened. This is what happened. When it's on video, then the video comes out. And then all of a sudden you act shocked like, oh, my God, how did this happen? You know? Yeah. Dumb. Dumb. Dumb people doing dumb things. Dumb people doing dumb things. Quickly, the playoff matchups. You were wrong. I was wrong. Were you happy to be wrong? I was happy to be wrong. And also, I think the, the tone, the, the, I, we, I think we, we talked about it on the Instant Reaction podcast with Chris. Um, the fact that Oklahoma's defense looked adequate is the only reason they got in over Ohio State. The only reason, I'm going to say. In that one game against Texas, that their defense looked like it could actually potentially stop someone. Mm -hmm. Because if that game was 65 to 62, Ohio State gets in, no question. Which it had the potential to be because Oklahoma's defense is still not very good. Yeah. But they, they, they helped themselves out because the only thing that was keeping them out was they had lost to Texas. So, okay, so you're going to beat Texas. Even if you beat Texas, like I said, but even if you beat them at the basketball score, 78 to 74, your defense is not good enough to be in the college football playoff. So now you can say, okay, they avenge their only loss and their defense doesn't look atrocious. They just look, don't look good. But Kyler Murray... That dude can win a game. So that gave him a shot. I, so we talked about it like right after it happened that they only, I think the only way they actually did get in is by providing an adequate performance on defense against Texas in that Big 12 championship. Because had they not, Ohio State kicked Northwestern's ass. And they would, I mean, it was stepping stone to stepping stone to stepping stone. They were going to get in. But Oklahoma stopped the bleeding just enough. Yeah. I'm interested to see. the. the I mean, I, you do listen to the, Rob Mullins, who was the head of the playoff committee, I mean, he basically says they considered Ohio State, but it wasn't that drastic. I think that they were pretty set on Oklahoma just because of how good Oklahoma's offense is. Which I'm really interested to see how, um, how Alabama does against Kyler Murray. And I don't think it's going to be very good. What I will say, I think that that situation on Saturday night with who won the Heisman Trophy, I think that that was a best-case scenario for Alabama. Yeah, that's true. But I also think that that's a guy that don't give a F what his accolades are. 
I think Kyler Murray, he knows he's already set for life. He, yeah. put, his, he put his name on a sheet of paper and got $4 million. But you know what I mean? The, there's one guy that goes into that game now with the pressure of being the Heisman Trophy winner. I really don't and, think he sees pressure, though. But I, I think that I, I really believe that if you looked at the way Tua was reacting to that entire situation, I think he was almost relieved because now it's like, oh, look, now we've got a chip on our shoulder. The one program that why would they ever have a chip on their shoulder? It's like, man, our quarterback got slided for the Heisman. Yeah, but I think I, 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 what quarterbacks have given, what quarterbacks have beaten Alabama in the past five years? Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, quarterback that can throw, but also run, create for himself. Uh, who played quarterback for Auburn last year when they won? Stidham. Yeah. Quarterback that can throw, but also run. I mean, really, nobody even came close this year, so didn't matter. Quarterback that can throw, but also run. I mean, that Auburn put up points Outside against them. Georgia, 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 I guess, Georgia but... put up points against them, but again, Fromm can throw, but also run. Mm-hmm. And a guy like Kyler Murray has the capacity to do that because he's not just a running quarterback because they eat those quarterbacks alive. Like a quarterback like Fitzgerald at uh, Mississippi State, dude, the dude's a, he's a good, he's a good player, he's, but he's just Colin Klein SEC version. He can't really throw. But a guy that can throw but also run has given Alabama fits in the past because they can't just sit in their base coverage like they like to do. They have to mix stuff up to, to rattle him. And Kyler Murray is really freaking good. So I, I, I know, granted, Tua is going to throw for 500 yards against Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. But I, the game, I think, gets into the 30s and 40s because of how good, how good Oklahoma's offense is against and with the capacity to actually be against Alabama. Is it bad if I think that they're really of those two games, really only one of them is actually that interesting? I don't know anything about Notre Dame. I was just going to say, of all of the teams that have made the college football playoff, I don't know if I've ever watched one less than I've watched Notre Dame. I've watched, I don't think I've watched a single one of their games. I think Maybe one. Clemson's, I think Clemson's pretty good. Yeah. I think if, if you know, they're obviously seated higher, so they've got to be favored, I would assume, to, to beat Notre Dame. So if the, the natural matchup would be a Clemson, uh, Clemson-Alabama Alabama, rematch, yeah. that would get, I think that's a fair shot. Get it, um, Clemson-Alabama four. Clemson-Alabama 10. Clemson-Alabama 10. Um, but I, th- I think that's a fair shot. I just don't, I don't know anything about Notre Dame. I know nothing about Notre Dame. So I can't even pretend to be. I'm just, you know, excited to watch. Oh, cool. Look, football. Yeah. All right, man. We'll, uh, we'll talk more next week. I think we're going to do some, uh, some signing day excitement. Mike. Signing with a CY. Signing day. Do you work for the football program now? Are you working in public relations? Do you get it? I do get it. Thank you. Do you get it? I get it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, thanks for. Yep. Well, that really certainly was a way to end the podcast. Random things. Thanks to Iowa Diamond for uh, being the presenting sponsor of the podcast. Talk to you guys again next week. Peace.